This is the Humanist Report with Mike Figueredo. This podcast is sponsored by viewers like you on Patreon through PayPal donations with YouTube memberships and Twitch subscriptions. To support the show, go to patreon.com forward slash humanist report or become a member by clicking the join button underneath any one of our videos on YouTube. Members get early access to most videos and get to participate in monthly Zoom hangouts with Mike. Here's the biggest stories we talked about this week on The Humanist Report. Enjoy the show. Um, The security here. And then you see the former president there stepping out of his vehicle. He gave a wave. From there, he'll go up to the 15th floor where he will await his arraignment, which should be in about 50 minutes. You're saying as soon as he enters that building, he is technically under arrest? Yes. Oh, extra there he is. Pops out there today, and here comes uh, the former president right now. Uh, we don't know where the microphones are, but we know that uh, he's expected to make his way there. This is after uh, being fingerprinted and arraigned, and we assume uh, making a plea. Happy Trump arrest day, my friends. It finally happened. The former star of Home Alone 2, Lost in New York, has been arrested after surrendering to authorities in New York following a grand jury's criminal indictment on 34 felony counts of falsifying business records, to which he predictably pled not guilty to. Now, together, the charges carry a maximum sentence of 136 years in prison, according to Reuters. But since it's Donald Trump and he is considered royalty in this country, I'd be surprised if he even saw a single day in prison, considering he wasn't even handcuffed and didn't get a mugshot taken when he was arrested today. Very equitable justice system that we have here, don't we? Still, the seriousness of this moment can't be understated. And even Trump, he's taking this seriously in the sense that he was surprised that this happened to him. He wrote via Truth Social, heading to the lower Manhattan, the courthouse, seems so surreal. Wow, they're going to arrest me. Can't believe this is happening in America. Mega. Now, as Politico explains, although it's the first time a former president has ever faced criminal charges, it may not be the last. At least three other criminal probes are circling around Trump. In Georgia, a district attorney is investigating Trump's attempt to subvert that state's results in the 2020 election. And in Washington, D.C., a special counsel is investigating his role in attempting to derail the transfer of presidential power, as well as his handling of national security secrets after leaving office. Now, with regard to that latter issue, the Washington Post reported on April 2nd that the Justice Department reportedly has even more evidence that Trump possibly obstructed justice. And to make matters worse, in a recent interview with Sean Hannity, he couldn't help himself. He self-incriminated even as Sean Hannity was trying to throw him a bone. I can't I can't imagine you ever saying, um, bring me some of the boxes that we brought back from the White House. I'd like to look at them. Did you ever do that? I would have the right to do that. There's nothing wrong with but it. But I know you. I don't think you would do well, it. Well, I, I don't have a lot of time, but I would have the right to do that. Right. I would do that. There'd be All right, let me wrong. move on. Fuck it. Let's move on. I'm literally trying to help you here, man, but you just won't shut the fuck up. <laughs> that response from Hannity was Excellent. Now, speaking of Trump not being able to shut the fuck up, he is literally talking shit about the judge who will be hearing his case on Truth Social. He wrote four days ago, the judge, quote, assigned to my witch hunt case, a case that has never been charged before, hates me. His name is Juan Manuel Marchand, was handpicked by Bragg and the prosecutors, and is the same person who railroaded my 75-year-old former CFO, Alan Weiselberg, to take a plea deal. And he goes on, but needless to say, it is, uh, I guess we'll call it bold 
to attack the judge who is literally hearing your case. And that's not all because Trump Jr. apparently posted a photograph of the judge with his daughter on Truth Social, which is, I guess it can be interpreted as threatening given Trump's history of violence in this country. But when you take into account his overall stupidity and privilege, I don't think that any of this is surprising. In fact, I'm actually shocked that he's behaving in the way that he is and actually turning himself in. Now, while that happened within the courthouse, all hell broke loose outside with Trump supporters throwing hilarious temper tantrums and attacking anti-Trump supporters, uh, specifically anti-Trump banners and then getting into arguments with them. It was just hilarious. But here's some footage captured by BuzzFeed News reporter David Mack. And this, for some reason, just made my day. We should throw the district attorney in Guantanamo Bay. Why so aggressive? Are you a sideline? Why are you wearing all that black? Yeah, so I honestly have no idea what was even going on there, but I did find it thoroughly entertaining. Now, there was also some, uh, I guess you would call them celebrities in Trump world that showed up, including George Santos, who was trolled when he arrived, and also Marjorie Taylor Greene, who was eventually run out because people weren't very excited to see her face in New York. Now, she showed up to give a speech in support of Donald Trump, but the problem was there were far more counter protesters, so she really couldn't even get a word in edgewise because their loudness drowned her out. Riveting speech, Marjorie. This is probably my favorite speech that she's ever given. Now, she was drowned out, as you heard, by the chanting and the whistling. And get this, NBC News reporter Ben Collins claims that some of the whistles were actually distributed by a Trump supporter who didn't even know that Marjorie Taylor Greene was speaking. So you had some anti-Trump protesters showing up, knowing that Marjorie Greene was going to be there with whistles to drown her out. And then you have some Trump supporters showing up, I guess, to show support with whistles who kind of unknowingly help to drown out somebody who was there in support of his cause. It's just, 
it's beautiful. I, I absolutely love it. Now, thankfully, we were able to hear some of Marjorie Taylor Greene's speech before they ran her off because a far right news network was close enough to kind of hear what she was saying. But even when they were right up to her, you could hear some of it, but she was quickly drowned out as soon as the crowd started to say anything. Democrats are the communists and they are destroying America, destroying freedom. Democrats are the ones that have nothing to campaign for because they are failures and they're proving it today. I want to thank the New York City Young Republicans for organizing this protest. I want to thank the Browns who are here today to cover this protest and allow me to speak and spread my words. And I would like to thank patriotic Trump supporters who are here today. USA! 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 And she left about 30 seconds later, as you can see, and nobody could hear what she was saying. And she was basically run out of that event, which is great. You have people like Jamal Bowen showing up and also clowning on her, which you love to see. Marjorie Taylor Greene needs to take her ass back to Washington and do something about gun violence. Do something about affordable housing. Do something about childhood poverty. Do something about climate change. Do your freaking job, Marjorie Taylor Greene. You don't need to be in New York City talking that nonsense. Go back to your district. You're not, what are you doing here? What I love is that Marjorie Green, she took notice of the attempts to try to stifle her, uh, and she ironically called for the counter-protesters to be arrested for violating her freedom of speech. Let's just stop for a moment and let that sink in. She wants the counter-protesters there exercising their free speech rights to be arrested for violating her free speech rights. She wrote via Twitter, I'm here in NY to protest with my voice against the weaponization of the justice system on innocent President Trump, but the counter protesters are coming to commit assault that can cause audible damage to everyone's ears, including NYPD. Shut the fuck up. But Mayor Adams warns me by name. If counter protesters are violating freedom of speech and committing assault, they should be arrested. Yes, because if people are too loud, then that is tantamount to physical assault, I guess, according to this genius. Now, the last thing that I want to talk about actually pissed me off um, because it's not just Trump supporters who were distraught seeing him arraigned. It was also liberals like Van Jones on CNN who, for whatever reason, tried to sanitize Trump's history of violence and criminality because he looked sad, I guess. He looks sad. Yeah, he looks sad. Uh, he looks like um, uh, the weight of it's hitting him. And, you know, uh, just as a human being, I, I, don't, I, don't take, I don't take joy. I don't like the prison system. I don't like what it does to people. I don't like this process. So I don't take any celebration in seeing uh, him looking that way. He looks sad. Now, does it mean that he, accountability is not owed? We don't know what he's going to be charged with. There's a, there's a lot more. But at that moment, that is not a conqueror. Uh, that is a, a granddad having a very bad day. Van Jones, shutting the fuck up is free, man. Trump has no remorse for any of the pain and suffering that he caused around the world. But all it takes for liberals like you to feel sympathy for him is just to see him with a sad face. I mean, do you think that Trump felt an ounce of sympathy for the families he destroyed with his drones? Do you think that he shed a single tear after he killed Nawar al-Awlaki, an eight-year-old little girl? 
Do you think that he felt bad after he vetoed a bipartisan resolution that sought to end U.S. complicity in Saudi Arabia's genocide in Yemen? Of course he didn't. So he may look like a grandfather who's having a bad day, but this man is no ordinary grandfather. He is a mass murdering war criminal who literally tried to overthrow the U.S. government. And also, he's an associate of Jeffrey Epstein. Aren't we celebrating that one of Jeffrey Epstein's associates is finally seeing some accountability i mean i say accountability and i feel like that isn't necessarily the right word because i would be surprised if he even served a single day in prison but i mean all it takes is trump to have a sad face and all of a sudden liberals like van jones are just they feel guilty i mean regardless of the outcome of any of these cases i can guarantee that trump's punishment just won't be enough given how bad of a person he is. So, I mean, it's certainly funny on one hand to see the meltdowns and overreactions to Trump getting arrested, but the fact remains that the mere prospect of just one elite finally being held minimally accountable is this upsetting to so many people. And that is deeply pathetic, even if it is somewhat funny. The fact that so many people think that there are actually people who should be above the law in this country tells us that our media has failed us. And you see the problem there with Van Jones running right along with the right-wing narrative that maybe Trump shouldn't be arrested. You know, he should be held accountable, but you know, it's just a little bit sad because he looks like a grandfather and I have a grandfather that I wouldn't want to see arrested. Yes, Van Jones, we all love our grandfathers. The problem is that our grandfathers don't stage insurrections, don't use campaign funds illegally to pay off porn stars that they fucked, don't obstruct justice, threaten violence, do mass murder around the globe. Our grandfathers aren't like Donald Trump. He is not like some normal person. Like, we don't have to humanize this fucking monster. He's a bad person. And even this small amount of accountability, just turning himself in is enough to make people apoplectic. And I find that very depressing overall, but I'm not going to let that detract from the overall hilarity of this story because the meltdowns are juicy and I'm going to enjoy them because this is America and nothing good ever happens to the American people. So if we can at least watch one elite go down in flames, at least somewhat, then I'm going to let myself enjoy that. And you should allow yourself to find some joy out of this as well if you can. I wish that in a circumstance like this, I would be able to concede to a worthy opponent. But I do not have a worthy opponent to which I can concede. This was the most deeply deceitful, dishonorable, despicable campaign I have ever seen run for the courts. It was truly beneath contempt. Now I say this not because we did not prevail. I do not say this because of the rancid slanders that were launched against me, although that was bad enough. But that is not my concern. My concern is the damage done to the institution of the court. Yes. 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 
That salty bitch you just heard from was Republican Daniel Kelly, who's a candidate for Wisconsin State Supreme Court. And yesterday, he was defeated by his Democratic opponent. And as a result, him and Republicans really across the country are outraged because this election was enormously consequential, not just for Wisconsin, but for the entirety of the country. As 2020 Stop the Steal founder Ali Alexander put it, his defeat may actually jeopardize the GOP's chances of taking back the White House in 2024. Why? Well, it's because if he was in this position of power, he could have potentially rigged the election for Republicans, which is something that he tried to do in 2020. As Wisconsin Watch explains, Wisconsin Supreme Court candidate Daniel Kelly advised Republican Party officials on a plan to have a group of Wisconsin Republicans sign paperwork falsely claiming to be electors in the 2020 presidential election. And so now, since he was defeated, all that goes out the window and he's not going to be able to help Republicans advance any future potential fake elector schemes, at least in Wisconsin. But it goes deeper than that because as Common Dreams puts it, quote, Judge Protasiewicz's victory is a huge win for protecting Wisconsinites' fundamental freedoms, said Sean Eldridge, founder and president of the progressive advocacy group Stand Up America. Quote, Judge Protasiewicz will act as a check on conservative efforts to take away reproductive freedom, disenfranchise voters of color through racial gerrymandering, and overturn election results they don't like. Her victory helps build a firewall for democracy and the freedom to vote ahead of 2024, Eldridge continued. So that right there is why we're seeing so much coping and seething, because Republicans in the state won't be able to disenfranchise voters of color, and their antiquated ban on abortion from the 19th century literally is likely going to be overturned now. But let's watch more of Kelly's concession speech, because as you're going to see, he was very bitter about the fact that voters chose democracy over his right-wing authoritarianism. My opponent is a serial liar. She's disregarded judicial ethics. She's demeaned the judiciary with her behavior. And this is the future that we have to look forward to in Wisconsin. I've been committed to the rule of law my entire career. I understand this to be the most fundamental, basic promise of civilization. And in its heart, it lives in the judiciary, and if not there, nowhere at all. We've had this laid out plainly for us. We could have the rule of law or the rule of Janet. And the people of Wisconsin have chosen the rule of Janet. The rule of Janet it is, I guess. <laughs> His tears are delicious. Now, yesterday, just in general, was a pretty bad day for the right, because as Charlie Kirk puts it, Trump was arraigned, Marxist wins mayoral race in Chicago, and Democrats flip Supreme Court in Wisconsin. Very bad day. No spin, no BS. Country is in collapse. We need God and dutiful action. <laughs> Look, Maybe if you guys stopped acting like literal fucking Nazis, I don't know, maybe voters would embrace you again, but they can't help themselves. They wear their contempt for democracy on their sleeves, and then they have a surprised Pikachu face whenever voters reject their authoritarianism. And Charlie Kirk, like Ali Alexander, admitted that this defeat is indeed going to make it more difficult for a Republican to win the presidency, with the subtext being that they won't be able to rig it in that state. Yesterday was not a good day. 
Not only was Trump arraigned, Wisconsin was a blowout, and there goes the Wisconsin Supreme Court, and it decreases our chance to be able to win the White House in 2024. It's not impossible, but we tried to warn people. Turning Point Action was on the ground. We were knocking on doors trying to raise money. The RNC, nowhere to be found. MIA, that's why we tried to do everything we could to get regime change done at the RNC. They wouldn't be bothered. They were too busy doing their things that they do, which is nothing but pay themselves and take care of their D.C. consultants. And then Chicago, not as if it was in a going in a hopeful direction, decided to elect an outright Marxist. Total Marxist is going to become mayor of Chicago. We'll, go, we'll get to these stories, but let's get to the one that is leading, which is the arraignment of Donald Trump. Boo-hoo, so sad. Now Republicans are going to have to try to win in Wisconsin by convincing voters to actually vote for them instead of mm, rigging and rat-fucking their way to victory as they usually do. It must be so hard to grapple with this new reality and live in a world where democracy, at least for now, still prevails. Now, I'd be remiss to not mention the Marxist that he referenced in that video because that was another monumental victory for progressives. The Daily Beast explains, Democrat Brandon Johnson has been elected mayor of Chicago, defeating his opponent Paul Vallis Tuesday night in nail-biting fashion. The close race was called just after 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time by the Associated Press and others, capping a hotly contested race that largely centered around questions of crime and public safety. The former Cook County Commissioner and union organizer was endorsed by the Chicago Teachers Union and United Working Families. He even earned the support of Bernie Sanders, who came to Chicago on Thursday to rally support for Johnson. He ran on policies such as improving mental health treatment and providing Chicago's youth with jobs. He also called for $800 million in new taxes on the city's businesses and most wealthy. Incredible. So allow me to unironically say, let's go, Brandon. But, you know, there you have it. There's a little bit of hopium to uh, help you get through the rest of the week. Voters, or at least for now anyways, continuing to reject far-right authoritarian candidates. And as a result, I'm a little bit more optimistic about the future for American democracy. It doesn't mean that we're out of the woods yet, but to see voters again and again say, we don't want these MAGA extremists who are openly talking about rigging elections, that is something that is very, very valuable. Like, I can't overstate how important that is, that Americans are still pro-democracy. I mean, certainly there's a number of them who are explicitly anti-democracy now, thanks to Donald Trump, but the overwhelming majority are seemingly still in support of democracy, and that is something that I think should be celebrated. So these victories are great, and uh, these Republican tears just make these victories that much sweeter. So uh, keep crying. And if you want to win again, Republicans, again, maybe stop being so goddamn extreme and vicious towards marginalized people, towards democracy. Just, I don't know, try to do better. But I mean, I'm not trying to give you advice because I want you to win. But I think that we all have a vested interest in making sure that one of two major parties that are electorally viable in the United States isn't completely fascistic. But I'll leave that there. So there's multiple layers of stupidity to this story that we're about to talk about, so I will try to make it as comprehensible as possible to people who aren't on Twitter and or terminally online like myself. 
So it starts with self-proclaimed theocratic fascist Matt Walsh reacting to last week's Nashville mass shooting carried out by a trans suspect by using that opportunity to claim all trans people are evil, saying, quote, I came to the conclusion years ago that the trans movement is the greatest evil our country faces. I only become more and more sure of this fact with each passing day and more and more determined to oppose it until my last breath. Now, in response to that, a user named Zaza Smoka wrote, You are a hateful little freak, and I can't wait until you piss off a trans person that actually is as unhinged as you claim to say they all are. And they add, can't be a bigot if you're no longer breathing. Okay, so now the right is claiming that AOC is the one who actually wished death on Matt Walsh because that account is actually AOC's burner account, according to them. And because of that claim, well, that response to Matt Walsh went viral with a lot of right-wingers thinking that she actually said this to Matt Walsh. For example, Miles Ian Chong tweeted, what did Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez mean by this? Matt Walsh also called her out saying, hi AOC, this isn't you wishing death on me, is it? Many are speculating that this is your burner account. You need to come out and denounce this kind of rhetoric, or we can only assume that you support it. And even sitting Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene floated this claim, saying, this you, AOC? Zaza Demon is your burner account? That is a disturbing name. Excited to see an unhinged trans murder a member of the conservative press, Matt Walsh? Yes, that is demonic, so the name fits. Now, you may be wondering why they're all so fucking confident that this is definitely AOC's burner account. Well, it's because of a now viral tweet from leftist turned right wing propagandist Nico House. And if that name sounds familiar, it's probably because you remember him as the guy who made a fool of himself back in 2020, simping so hard for Tulsi Gabbard that he became a meme and the laughing stock of the entire internet for like a year. Now, after Tulsi's campaign was over, since leftists no longer took him seriously, he predictably started grifting towards the right almost immediately, just like his mommy Tulsi. And now the quintessential Tulsi himself here claims that he has definitive proof that Zaza Smoka on Twitter is AOC's burner account. And that's because um, of this. Here's his now viral claim. AOC has burned accounts. I think he means burner accounts. I responded to one of her posts reminding her that she sends money to Nazis and some random account responded to me speaking in first person as if I attacked them. Then that same person deleted the tweets. All right, so let's check it out. He responded to AOC saying, but you vote to send money to Nazis and to fund Israeli apartheid. But hey, at least she stood up to a TikTok star. Zaza Smoker responded to that saying, LOL, and what makes you think that I did anything to support Nazis? You're delusional. Seek help. So there you have it. AOC responded to Nico House in the first person while not realizing that she was still logged into her burner account. Got her. He's got her dead to rights, right? Mm, not so much, because as people quickly pointed out, when Nico originally responded to AOC, he tagged both AOC and Zaza Smoka, who also responded to AOC, meaning that Zaza Smoka got a notification after Nico House responded to them and seemingly thought that Nico House was directing his Nazi accusation to them, hence the confusion in Zaza's reply. And as Ravana put it, this bozo replied to an account that retweeted AOC and didn't untag that account before he did it, which I think is a lot more believable than AOC having an alt named Zaza Smoka with an anime avatar. <laughs> <laughs> but hang on a second. If Zaza Smoka is not AOC, then why delete the response to Nico House? 
Well, it's because if you mistakenly thought that somebody was responding to you and you respond back to them, realizing that you weren't the one he was referencing, you delete it. I've done it. Most people on Twitter have done this. So it's not that suspicious. And it's just a little bit ironic of Nico House, of all people, to call somebody else a Nazi defender or supporter of Nazis, considering he's friends with a very popular white nationalist. Now, the claim that Zaza Smoka is AOC's burner account gets even more dumb, given that, as the service points out, the account liked not safe for work posts on Twitter, including risque photographs of other women. So if we're going to assume that this is AOC's burner account, we have to assume that she didn't just create it to respond to shit posters on Twitter, but she created it also to presumably, I guess, inconsistent conspicuously like thirst traps of other women <laughs> i mean i guess it's not impossible right but you also have to assume that she's either a closeted lesbian or at least bisexual at a minimum if this is indeed her account and listen i want to be very clear here i wish this were true i think that aoc using a burner account to covertly wish death on matt walsh is objectively hilarious so i want it to be true as we all do but i'm just saying that there's not enough evidence to support that claim. But regardless, that was apparently enough evidence for right-wingers, and even a sitting member of Congress, Marjorie Taylor Greene, decided to promote this claim. Now, this shouldn't be too surprising that they're running with this, given that Marjorie's proof that all Democrats are pedophiles is their support of bottom surgeries for trans kids, which is something that she claimed was happening with zero evidence in an interview with Leslie Stahl of 60 Minutes. So their standard for evidence... It's obviously not very high, but nonetheless, I mean, why not run with this? Why let evidence or a lack thereof get in the way of a good narrative, right? But regardless, the right will continue to push this false narrative because that's just kind of what they do. So with that being said, it's incumbent on all of us normal people who base our worldviews on empirical reality to push back and debunk false claims wherever we see them. And this is one of those instances where... We need to push back and stop this from spreading like wildfire, even though it may be a little bit too late. And I've got to say that it's a little bit worrying that so many people took this claim and ran with it because we're entering this new era where AI is getting increasingly convincing and deep fakes are looking a lot like reality. So if people already don't really have that high of a standard for evidence, how bad is it going to get when we enter this era where it's going to be even more difficult to disprove things? So this is why we all need to just hope that people are a little bit more rigorous in things that they're willing to accept. Because, I mean, if we're just willing to assume that anyone has a burner account because they respond to a reply in the first person, then that's bad for all of us on Twitter. Because what's stopping somebody else from just creating an account and going under a public figure responding to the reply in the first person and getting other people to think that that's them. I mean, do we really want this? This isn't good for Nico House. This isn't good for Miles Ian Chong or Matt Walsh or Marjorie Taylor Greene or myself. It's not good for any of us. So the best thing that we can all do is just ask for a higher standard of evidence before falling for something hook, line, and sinker. That being said, though, I agree that it would be hilarious if this was indeed AOC, but unfortunately... I'm not buying it. This isn't the Matt Bender libtardo one moment that they were hoping for. But I understand why they would want this to be true, because that is, in fact, very incriminating and simultaneously hilarious. But you just need more evidence to push this claim. Sorry. 
So three of us lawmakers who stood with our constituents demanding that they take action and hear that thousands of people gathered on Thursday talking about the crisis of mass shootings. Um, we're, our, we've been kicked off our committees as, as representatives elected by our constituents. Each of us represents 78,000 people and our people are being silenced because they're kicking us off committees. They're threatening to take a vote to expel us today. Um, our member ID badges have been shut off. Um, our, our representative ID badges have been shut off. Um, and this is not what democracy looks like. You know, we are elected to serve our constituents and um, I'm the youngest democratic lawmaker here, uh, in the most diverse district. And by shutting me down, they're shutting down the, the voice of my constituents. Um, so this is uh, one of my constituents, Ms. Brooks, and so um, whose family was, was hit um, and, 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 you know, a, a victim of, of the mass, the mass shooting. And so we're here to speak for them. And they won't even let us speak for our people. They wouldn't let us talk on the floor. They shut our microphones off. Um, they, they, they shut our voting machines off. We couldn't even talk about the issue. And so when we went to the well to, to force the issue, they, they called us insurrectionists and are now trying to expel us from the legislature. You just heard from Tennessee State Representative Justin Jones, who explained how he's one of three lawmakers being targeted by Republicans for expulsion after they stood in solidarity with Gen Z activists who peacefully marched to the Capitol last week and disrupted a session in the aftermath of the deadly mass shooting in Nashville. What did they ask for? For gun control. And what are they getting? Well, the expulsion of some of the only lawmakers who chose to stand with them in the aftermath of this violence. And Republicans are disingenuously calling them insurrectionists, which is a claim echoed by propagandists in right-wing media like Matt Walsh and Jack Posobiec. And as a result, these three Democrats may pay the price because they're going to have a vote on expulsion and it seems like there's really nothing that they can do to stop this from happening. So as Jake Johnson of Common Dreams explains, Tennessee House Republicans on Monday initiated the process of expelling three Democratic lawmakers who joined protesters in demanding stricter gun laws following the Nashville mass shooting that left three young children and three adults dead. Days after last week's shooting, thousands of demonstrators flooded the Tennessee state capitol to decry GOP lawmakers in action in the face of deadly gun violence. Inside the House chamber, Democratic representatives Justin Jones, Gloria Johnson, and Justin Pearson took to the podium with a bullhorn and led demonstrators in chants supporting gun control legislation. As the Tennessean reported, Tennessee House Republicans cast the trio's actions as an insurrection and, at the end of Monday's session, introduced three expulsion resolutions claiming that the three Democrats did knowingly and intentionally bring disorder and dishonor to the House of Representatives through their individual and collective actions. A vote on the resolution is expected on Thursday. Quote, Democrats will have little power to block the expulsions, the Tennessean noted. So they're doing this. They're actually going to expel these three Democrats. This is political retribution. They know that this isn't an insurrection that's disingenuous and this is them just i guess getting payback on democrats for saying that what the republicans did on january 6th was an insurrection but there's a difference between a violent protest and a peaceful protest and even though these protesters did disrupt a session and they protested at the capitol that doesn't make it equal to a fucking insurrection and they know that 
And Representative Jones tweeted, Tonight, as Tennessee House Republicans push forward to schedule a vote on our expulsion, Speaker Sexton ordered the gallery cleared as the crowd chanted, Fascists. The media was also forced out as well. And then Representative Lafferty pushed him and grabbed his phone. This is a sad day for Tennessee. And now here's the video that Representative Jones shared where you can clearly see that the Republican literally assaulted him and he's just shameless. Like, what else do you say? Just, just watch it. I mean, there are cameras on you and you're still choosing to assault your Democratic colleague. I just, I don't know what to say about this. Now, I guess that the silver lining is that these lawmakers aren't taking this lying down, even if there's really nothing that they can do about this. And also the people of Tennessee, they're not accepting this either, even if there's really nothing that they can do about this as well. very well said it's just astonishing how shameless republicans are and now they're trying to distract people with this bullshit expulsion campaign when they should be doing what their constituents want which is enacting gun control they're not asking for these republicans to ban guns they're asking for moderate reasonable gun control but they they won't do it instead they're spending time on this expelling the few members of the legislature that chose to stand in solidarity with their calls for action in the aftermath of a deadly mass shooting they just don't care like i don't know how else to put this republicans do not care if people die including children they just they couldn't care less representative william lamberth is another republican who doesn't care and i think that he really is the embodiment of republicans not giving a shit about dead children because after he was presumably asked to support an assault weapons ban here's what he told his constituents which included children by the way so you're not gonna like my answer and look i'm gonna say that straight up it's not about this one gun if there is a firearm out there that you're comfortable being shot with, please show me which one it is. There's not. Every, there's not. There's not. Right there. Every single gun in the hands of a crazy person, a deranged person, a convicted felon, every single weapon out there can be. going to be more scared when somebody's walking on the street with a giant-ass gun for no reason? Like, nobody's going to do good with that gun. I understand that. The goal is not to but it's not you could ban that specific gun and you were going to do almost nothing to improve y'all's safety i'm sorry that's a fact so in other words some of you may die but uh that's a price that i'm willing to pay so best of luck kids i'll be praying for you i just <laughs> i'm almost speechless it's not like i'm shocked by anything that republicans do at this point but to see how little they care 
it just it should shock everyone that this party continues to get elected. And yes, I understand that they rig elections due to voter suppression with gerrymandering. But the fact that any American votes for them, it just is shocking to me. I'm not saying that Democrats are amazing and everyone has to pay fealty to them. But the fact that Republicans, that any Republican is politically viable, it just, it, I think it's an embarrassment. Now, they're not doing anything to support gun control. And if anything, they're just going to go further in the opposite direction because that's what they've done for years after their constituents have said that they want action. Common Dreams continues, far from backing gun control legislation, Tennessee Republicans have sought to make firearms even more readily accessible in recent years. The New York Times reported last week that Tennessee lawmakers have passed a series of measures that have weakened regulations, eliminating some permit requirements and allowing most residents to carry loaded guns in public, open or concealed without a permit, training or special background checks. Yeah, so that's the Republican Party, folks. If you live in Tennessee and you try to vote for an alternative, well, these power-hungry fascists are just going to try to expel them if they do anything to catalyze action when they refuse to take action that their constituents are demanding. But none of this is surprising. Republicans across the country really seem hell-bent on making Americans as miserable as they possibly can. Again, this is the party that self-identifies as pro-life. But yet, they won't even do the bare fucking minimum to protect their own citizens. There's a reason why life expectancy in red states, on average, is substantially lower than blue states. It's not just about gun violence. It's also the overall lack of support for their own constituents when it comes to basic necessities. This is all due to a hollowing out of state institutions at the behest of corporations. That's freedom, though, according to these Republicans. So I'm not sure what else to say about this story. Republicans are literally destroying the country, but they're just fine with everyone else suffering so long as everything is peachy for them. So there you have it. Republicans in Tennessee are actually going to try to expel their Democratic colleagues all for speaking out against they're in action. It's a power grab, it's fascistic, but I am not surprised in the slightest. Before Elon Musk bought Twitter, he claimed that his support for free speech was unequivocal and that he even wanted his worst critics to remain on the platform once he took it over. Remember that? Yeah, I do too. Fast forward to today, however, and his actions have thoroughly proven that that is indeed not the case since LGBTQ inclusive language is now seemingly being censored across the entire platform and nobody really knows why. As Pink News reports, on Saturday, April 1st, Twitter users and LGBTQ plus activists spotted that tweets shared by direct message no longer show a tweet preview if they include certain words. Sharing a tweet via DM should automatically bring up a preview of the tweet's contents, but now users are seeing just a plain link if the tweet contains the word trans, LGBT, LGBT+, or BLM for Black Lives Matter. More concerningly, tweets that feature terms that are widely regarded as slurs by the LGBTQ community, including trans-identified and T-slur, preview as normal, as do tweets mentioning the trans-exclusionary term LGB. The concern around censorship in Twitter DM 
OEMs is echoed by the UK-based TransSafety Network, which reported that preliminary testing indicates that the platform is, quote, deboosting tweets containing words. They include the words trans, gay, lesbian, queer, and bisexual. Now, I, for one, have actually experienced this too. So a lot of people will DM me LGBTQ plus news articles that they want me to cover. And I can confirm after looking at their direct messages, I am not seeing tweet previews in my DMs just the link. Now, I can't speak personally to de-boosting, but there is evidence that this is happening. But that's just the tip of the iceberg, apparently, because the trans safety network who conducted this analysis, as mentioned by the article, also discovered the following. Quote, we also believe that the word sex is banned, including any reference to sexuality, which is why bisexual without the pound sign also got caught in our initial tweet. We can also confirm that whilst any reference to sex triggers this filter, the word F-slur does not. Our testing suggests this does not capture all words, which contain sex, sextant is fine, but intersex is not. Heterosexual is also fine, but homosexual is not. Our current thinking is because of how other partially filtered words, which keep sex intact, interact, is that anything containing sex is banned, but explicit exemptions have been made, not including queer sexualities. Although they say in an important update, we have just found that the filter blocked the initialism GC without punctuation marks, short for gender critical, is also blocked. The full phrase and acronym TERF are not. Also, gender identity is banned. Gender ideology is not. So this is pretty brazen. It appears as if they are deliberately targeting specific queer terms, but they are excluding slurs and right-wing dog whistles like gender ideology, which is extremely suspicious to say the least. Now, it's entirely possible that this change was not made for nefarious reasons. Pink News continues, while this could simply be a Twitter glitch, it is perhaps unsurprising that LGBTQ plus users are concerned as under the tenure of the platform's owner, Elon Musk, posts mentioning the anti-LGBTQ plus groomer narrative have soared by 119%. In February, researchers from the Center for Countering Digital Hate found that Twitter is on track to make up to $19 million a year from ads on just 10 vitriolic anti-LGBTQ plus accounts reinstated by Elon Musk since he announced his general amnesty policy. Now, we also shouldn't let Elon Musk off the hook as well because he's posted anti-LGBTQ plus things on Twitter, especially anti-trans things. And we just, we don't know why this is happening. There's no explanation for it, but it is indeed happening. That's been proven. And queer people are now the deliberate targets of Twitter censorship. This is a new phenomenon. It hasn't happened before. But this change comes with other bizarre changes on Twitter. Now we can't tell which verified users pay for Twitter Blue or legacy verified users because clicking on a check mark now just says this account is verified because it subscribed to Twitter Blue or is a legacy verified account. And now most verified legacy users are seeing this, although for some reason when I checked mine, it says that I'm verified because my account is quote, notable in government, news, entertainment, or another designated category. So at least at this point in time, people won't suspect that I'm a motherfucker who pays for Twitter, but the goal seemingly is to make Twitter blue users indistinguishable from legacy verified users. So we stop making fun of them for paying for Twitter. Although that change hasn't affected all of us because again, my check mark doesn't say that, but I just, I thought that 
all check marks were going to go the way of the dodo on April 1st. Turns out that didn't happen. And the one account that lost their verification that we know of is the New York Times because they said that they weren't going to pay. But apparently it's very difficult to just remove all check marks and you have to kind of do this manually one by one. This is the reports. I can't verify that. I'm not an engineer. So this is why perhaps it hasn't happened. But this change doesn't affect all of us. One change that has affected all of us is that the Twitter logo has now been replaced as of Monday with the Dogecoin logo, which comes as Musk tries to get his $258 billion Dogecoin lawsuit dismissed, where investors are suing him for his alleged involvement in a pyramid scheme meant to boost the value of Dogecoin. So I guess he made this change to rally the troops. I don't know. I mean, this is another change that nobody asked for. But unlike other changes, simply replacing the Twitter logo with a crypto coin based on an ancient meme is probably the least offensive change that Elon Musk has made to the platform since taking it over. So I'm not necessarily bothered by this, although aesthetically it's not that pleasing, but I can live with it. But when it comes to him claiming that he was going to liberate the platform from the previous owners who were censorious tyrants, well, he has failed categorically in that regard because free speech has not thrived on the platform since elon musk took it over and nobody who's been paying attention is surprised by that but one thing that will continue to not surprise any of us who've been on the platform for years is more dumb changes that are instituted for seemingly no reason but you know you can you can scoff at or make fun of the stupid changes that he makes but censoring an entire marginalized community on Twitter when they are desperately trying to get their message out there amid an international hate campaign, that can actually do real harm. But again, we can't prove nefarious intent, but we can prove that it's happening. So regardless of why it happened, it needs to be fixed. But when all of the engineers are gone and there's nobody to report these issues and when Elon Musk is seemingly in agreement with this change, if not the one who greenlighted it, we all know that there's really nothing that can be done about this. So hate will continue to proliferate on the platform and marginalized voices will continue to get drowned out because this is the new status quo with Elon Musk. It's just going to continue to circle the drain until hopefully it gets so bad that Elon Musk sells Twitter to someone else who's at least a little bit more competent. But who knows? So for now, we'll just have to wait and see. But I'll continue to report on this. As for now, LGBTQ plus people are being censored on Elon Musk's free speech platform. So Barry Weiss, like all conservatives, is currently trying to cash in on anti-trans hate. And she shared an article published on her platform, The Free Press, about a mother who claims she was bullied or felt bullied into giving her child puberty blockers in an effort to alleviate the psychological distress that they were feeling. But the mother claims in this article that the puberty blockers didn't help and actually made their child much worse, psychologically speaking. Now, Barry Weiss did not write the article. This was written by Emily Yoff, but it was published on her platform and she shared it on Twitter saying Caroline was told that a puberty blocker would relieve her child's psychological distress, but that's not what happened. Now, we're not going to dive too deep into the story here, but I did read it and it's exactly what it sounds like. A parent claims that they felt pressured by Washington University Transgender Hospital at the St. Louis Children's Hospital to put their child on Seprolin, which is a puberty blocker. Now, the mother claims that once she approved this treatment for her child with, uh, with gender dysphoria, it led to 
a lot of issues, substantial weight gain, as well as the decline in their school performance, mood, overall mental health. And the mother even claims that her child told a psychologist that they were having suicidal thoughts. So the overall takeaway after you read this article is that gender affirming care for trans youth is bad. And this is a scary phenomenon. And parents who seek out gender affirming care for their children either don't really know what they're getting themselves into or they're being manipulated by politically motivated woke doctors. The problem is this story is propagandistic bullshit. This isn't a story about one child's bad experience with gender affirming care. This is a story about an ignorant parent who was probably predisposed to accept anti-trans propaganda, already reluctant to approve gender-affirming care for their child, struggling to grapple with the reality that their child is trans. And we know that this is the case because the child in this story spoke out and said that this is indeed the case. The child in question is Alex, and this is their story. Quote, I have reinstalled Twitter to respond to this story and make sure my voice is fully heard. I am Casey. My real name is Alex, but my mom decided it would be best to hide it for anonymity. But this is my story, not hers. This is not the free press's story. About a week ago, my mom contacted Emily Yoff without my knowledge and told her what was supposed to be our story. She expressed her frustration with the transgender clinic at Washington University, many of which are false perceptions that my mom has about doctors and the clinic. I learned of this article through my mom over the phone when she asked if it was okay that the free press published the article. I said that I wanted to read it first. When I read the draft, I was disgusted with what the report and my mom had made my experience out to be. Upon interviewing Emily Yoff myself, I was told that I had no say in whether or not the article was published. I asked if my consent was required to publish the article, and the reporter told me, quote, that's not how these things work. After she had edited the article and published it, I had not found this out until 20 hours later. I was extremely frustrated. The article makes it out that my mother had no say in the implant of Seprolin. This is completely false. My mother claims that she was pressured into saying yes by the doctors. A big issue they point out is that the doctors quoted suicide statistics in transgender adolescents. I do not deny that these statistics were quoted, but I also maintain that the doctors didn't say that I was at substantial risk of this. The article mentions that my grades dropped from A's and B's to D's and F's in a semester. This is a completely exaggerated statement. My grades were on a steady decline since 2020 due to unrelated mental health concerns. Speaking of mental health, the article claims that my mental health issues can be attributed to the Seprolin implant. However, my personal experience shows that this is not the case. Since COVID-19, my mental health has been declining and it was already an issue. I was in counseling with the Washington University Transgender Care Center in which I was treated amazingly by my counselor. She was a friend to me and offered a great amount of support. This was taken away when my mom revoked consent for the Seprolin. After she revoked consent, my father and I, along with the university, attempted to set up a meeting with my mom. She did not attend this meeting, claiming that she was not contacted. Later, she admitted that she was. So in other words, the mom, who was already seemingly reluctant to approve of gender-affirming care in the first place, but the child, the father, and the clinic recommended it, tried to blame puberty blockers for her child's mental health decline and tried to stop the treatment, even though the child wanted it and it was recommended by the other parent and the doctors. And the mom actually responded to this thread, which was not a good idea because immediately 
She contradicted herself, saying, My child was in the middle of a mental health crisis, and they chose to drop the counseling but keep the implant. Medical negligence. Now, the problem with this statement here is that in the article, she is the one who stopped the counseling. She was quoted saying, I also do not want Casey to receive any more counseling at the transgender center. He's not transgender. He's a 15-year-old child. The only further treatment I authorize as joint legal guardian is the removal of the puberty blocker and the subsequent aftercare. Please call me with any questions. So she's the one who stopped the counseling not the clinic. And you can see a total change in her demeanor here. No longer is she this mom who's a little bit reluctant about gender affirming care, but trying to do what's best for her child. In that quote right there, she's outright denying that her child is trans and purposefully misgendering her child who goes by they, she pronouns. So this seems like a classic case of a hateful parent who refuses to accept their LGBT child. And furthermore, she explained why she didn't attend the meeting referenced in Alex's thread. Actually, babe, she writes patronizingly, they gave me two days notice and sent an email confirmation that only found last week. They were supposed to call me on speaker and never did. Also, I was not going to that meeting without an attorney. Let's get it all out there. So she's really showing her true colors here. And it's worth pointing out, a couple of interactions that she had on Twitter that gives us a little bit more context that I think is really lacking in the article, obviously. So another parent of a queer child responded to her saying, as the parent of a queer child, the only reason your child needs to speak out now is because you felt the need to speak out and misrepresent their story. But she responded saying, this is actually my story about how I was treated as a parent at this center. Alex has a story too, but this article wasn't it. Don't confuse the two. And and one more interaction that she had on Twitter where it's clear that her brain succumbed to right-wing propaganda on this issue. So someone told her that she seems like an awful human being and an even worse mother, which I agree with, but she responded to that saying, only time will tell, I guess. Awful because I don't want my child experimented on? Okay then, I'll wear that label. Yeah, so that kind of tells you everything you need to know about her. Rather than trying to educate herself and understand her child's concerns, she seemingly got radicalized by anti-trans propaganda, blamed all of her child's problems on the doctors and gender-affirming care, and then tried to make an example out of her own kid for propaganda purposes. I mean, I guess as she put it, only time will tell if she's an awful parent. But unfortunately for her, it's already pretty obvious that she is indeed an awful parent and a pretty shady person. She's showing her true colors online as she responds to people. But I can blame her, but I also have to blame the opportunists in this in this story too, like Barry Weiss, who is choosing to keep the article up while knowing that it is a misrepresentation of the actual story. And I also have to blame the author, Emily Yoff, who hasn't responded to Alex's claims yet. And that's probably because she knew exactly that she was only telling one side of the story because that was the goal. Her ultimate goal was not objective journalism. It was to fuel right-wing hysteria over gender-affirming care. She knew what she was doing. And we know that this was her goal because she retweeted a bunch of shocked reactions to her story. For example, this person shared it saying, read this, my God. Another person said, Emily Yaff with a blockbuster on gender-affirming child abusers. So she got the exact response that she wanted. And there's more responses that she retweeted, but what I found really despicable and just sad overall is that Alex 
was sharing their Twitter thread to each of these retweets in a desperate attempt to get their story out and not allow their treatment to be used for anti-trans propaganda purposes. I mean, a 16-year-old child shouldn't be forced to correct the record when there are journalists who should be responsible enough to either delete the article or at a minimum include an update with Alex's side of the story now that they spoke up. But Weiss and Yoff aren't doing this. And it's because, again, objective journalism isn't the goal here. Anti-trans hysteria is the goal. And they got exactly what they wanted. So this is one of the grossest examples of unethical journalism that I've seen. And really, it's not surprising considering that the free press has also promoted the witch trials of J.K. Rowling in an effort to, I guess, sanitize the Harry Potter author's transphobia. I mean, look, if you want to be a commentator like Matt Walsh, that's fine. We can disagree on the facts and the substance, and we'll debate that. But when you publish blatant propaganda under the pretense of journalism in order to dupe unsuspecting people into believing this nonsense, that is where we just get into territory that I think is so evil. This is medically necessary, life-saving care, and you're trying to pretend as if it's going to make children worse, not better. And that is just despicable. I would say that Emily Yoff and Barry Wife should be ashamed of themselves, but unfortunately, these immoral bigots lack the capacity for shame. And as a result, a 16-year-old trans teenager is forced to clean up the mess that they made. It's truly despicable, but totally predictable for the modern fascistic bigoted right. Want more? Visit humanistreport.com for links to our full catalog of videos on YouTube, Means TV, and Facebook. You can also find audio versions of the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, and other major podcast platforms. And before you go, consider supporting the show on Patreon or through YouTube memberships. You get early access to most videos, invites to monthly live chats with Mike, and you'll be thanked by name at the start of the next episode. There are other ways to support the show. You can like, subscribe, turn on notifications, and share our content on social media. Thank you for watching.